الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners last week we began the reading and commentary of the famous hadith of abu dhar al-ghifari radiyallahu anhu related by a number of authors including most famously by imam muslim rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih I commented on the beginning part of the hadith and inshallah today we will complete the rest. Wa bil isnad al muttasil minni ila al imam muslim rahimahullah qala haddathna Abdullah ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Bahram ad-Darimi qala haddathna Marwan yani ibn Muhammad ad-Dimashqiya qala haddathna Sa'id ibn Abdul Aziz عن ربيعة بن يزيد عن أبي إدريس الخولاني عن أبي ذر رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فيما روى عن الله تبارك وتعالى أنه قال يا عبادي إني حرمت الظلم على نفسي وجعلته بينكم محرما فلا تظالموا يا عبادي كلكم ضال إلا من هديته فاستهدوني أهدكم يا عبادي كلكم جائع الا من اطعمته فاستطعموني اطعمكم يا عبادي كلكم عار الا من كسوته فاستكسوني اكسكم يا عبادي انكم تخطئون بالليل والنهار وانا اغفر الذنوب جميعا فاستغفروني اغفر لكم يا عبادي انكم لن تبلغوا ضري فتضروني ولن تبلغوا نفعي فتنفعوني يا عبادي لو ان اولكم واخركم وانسكم وجنكم كانوا على اتقى قلب رجل واحد منكم ما زاد ذلك في ملكي شيئا يا عبادي لو ان اولكم واخركم وانسكم وجنكم كانوا على افجر قلب رجل واحد ما نقص ذلك من ملكي شيئا يا عبادي لو ان اولكم واخركم وانسكم وجنكم قاموا في سعيد واحد فسالوني فاعطيت كل انسان مسالته ما نقص ذلك مما عندي الا كما ينقص المخيط اذا ادخل البحر يا عبادي انما هي اعمالكم احصيها لكم ثم اوفيكم اياها فمن وجد خيرا فليحمد الله ومن وجد غير ذلك فلا يلومن الا نفسه او كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم فيما روى عن الله تبارك وتعالى that's the arabic of the hadith which I relate with an uninterrupted chain from myself to Imam Muslim rahimahullah. 
the translation Imam Muslim rahmatullah he relates from he says Abdullah ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Bahram al-Darimi related to us that Marwan meaning the son of Muhammad al-Dimashqi related to us that Sa'id ibn Abdul Aziz related to us from Rabi'at ibn Yazid from Abu Idris al-Khawlani from Abu Dharr radiyallahu from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as part of what he related from Allah, blessed and exalted is he, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, O oh my servants, I have made injustice forbidden unto myself, and I have made it forbidden between you. Therefore do not be unjust to one another. O oh my servants, every one of you is misguided, except one whom I guide. Therefore seek guidance of me, and I shall guide you. O my servants, every one of you is hungry, except one I feed. Therefore seek sustenance of me, and I shall feed you. O my servants, every one of you is unclothed, except one I clothe and shelter. Therefore seek clothing and shelter from me, and I shall clothe and shelter you. O my servants, indeed you sin day and night. And I forgive all sins, therefore seek my forgiveness, and I shall forgive you. O my servants, you will never be able to reach my harm, in that you can harm me. And you will never be able to reach my benefit, in that you can benefit me. O my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn amongst you, were all to be as pious-hearted and as God-fearing, as the most God-fearing one amongst you, then this would not increase anything in my kingdom. O my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn, were to, of you, were to be as the most sinful-hearted amongst you, this would not reduce anything from my kingdom. O oh, my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn, were all to stand in one plane, and then each was to ask me, and then I was to grant each his or her wish, if I was to give each human his wish, even then this would not reduce from my kingdom, from what, from my treasure, except to the measure of a needle when it is dipped into the ocean and then removed. O oh, my servants, these are but your deeds. I enumerate them for you. Then I shall, rec- I shall recompense you for them in full. So whoever finds good, then let him praise Allah. And whoever finds other than this, then let him blame no one but himself. That's the translation of this very famous hadith. As I mentioned last week, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi said that لَيْسَ لِأَهْلِ الشَّامِ حَدِيثٌ أَشْرَفُ مِنْ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ That for the people of Sham, there is no hadith more noble than this hadith. And I explain the reasons as to why. Because all the prime narrators of the hadith are from Dimashq, the city of Damascus. Further, Many great truths of religion are contained in this one single hadith. And it's one of the most famous Qudsi hadith, 
related from Rasulullah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. The beginning few sentences of the hadith I explained in detail, so I won't repeat myself about dhulm, wrongdoing and injustice, and also about guidance, where Allah says, every one of you is misguided except one whom I guide, therefore seek guidance of me. And I said quite a bit about both these sentences, and I'll just say one other thing, which is that we regularly hear the khutbah at the beginning of every speech and sermon. And part of that khutbah, which is from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in varying words, consists of the following phrase, that مَنْ يَهْدِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ That whomever Allah guides, there is none to misguide him. And whomever Allah leads astray, there is none to guide him. And that's actually mentioned in the Holy Qur'an, that Whomever Allah misguides, you will never be able to find a guiding guardian for him. And Whomever Allah misleads, there is none to guide him. And whomever Allah guides, there is none to mislead him. So ultimately, guidance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore Allah says, every one of you is misguided, except one whom I guide, therefore seek guidance of me. And therefore we should regularly pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for increased guidance and for steadfastness. And we already do. Many times a day in Surah Al-Fatiha, Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem. However, we should do this with knowledge, understanding, and with enthusiasm and with sincerity. And just as the Prophet ﷺ used to pray regularly for guidance and for steadfastness. Moving on, the next sentences. So the beginning words are, O my servants... I have made injustice forbidden upon myself, and I have made it forbidden between you, therefore do not be unjust to one another. Every one of you, O oh my servants, every one of you is misguided, except one whom I guide, therefore seek guidance of me, and I shall guide you. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibadi, kullukum ja'i'un illa man at'amtuh, fasta'imuni ut'imkum. O my servants, Every one of you is hungry, except one whom I feed. Therefore, seek food of me, of me, and I shall feed you. This may seem rather simplistic, but there's a great depth of meaning here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ مَا أُرِيدُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ رِزْقٍ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ يُطْعِمُونَ إِنَّ اللَّهُ هُوَ الرَّزَّاقُ ذُو الْقُوَّةِ الْمَتِينَ That I have not created man and jinn. Or, I have not created jinn and man. Except that they may serve me. The same meaning of as I mentioned last week, Allah repeatedly says in this hadith, Ya ibadi, O my servants. And ibad, and the word ibadah, 
are all related to the root letters of abada, which doesn't originally mean worship, it means service, to serve Allah in all circumstances, at all times, in all conditions, in all ways. So it's not restricted, ibadah is not restricted to ritual prayer. Ibadah means a service of Allah. And the greatest rank anyone can achieve is ubudiyah, which is a servitude of Allah So as Allah says here, I have not created jinn and men except that they serve me. Then Allah says, I do not seek any risk, any assistance or any provision from them. Nor do I seek that they feed me. Indeed, Allah, He is the great sustainer. The one of power, the strong and mighty. What that verse tells us is that there is a connection between the ibadah and the service of Allah and our pursuits for provisions and for food. Which is that we strive and we earn and we work hard. Almost as though we aren't just responsible for feeding ourselves, but we are responsible for feeding our families. We are responsible for feeding others, the whole world, the whole of creation, and that in a very primitive fashion, as the pagans would feed themselves and they would feed their idols. They would offer sacrifices to their idols. They would even leave sweetmeats and food to rot away, and even drinks on the altars of sacrifice before their idols. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that He, Allah Azza wa Jal, does not seek provisions or food or sustenance from mankind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who shall feed them and sustain them. And their job is not to earn as though they have to feed the whole of creation and the Creator Himself. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will feed them and sustain them. And that's why in a very beautiful hadith later by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and by others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Yabna Adam, O son of Adam, Tafarrag li'ibadati, Amla sadraka ghina wa asudda faqra. O son of Adam, free yourself for my worship, for my service, and I shall fill your heart with richness. And I shall put a halt to your poverty. And then the hadith continues. This is a Qudsi hadith again, one which Allah Himself relates. And then the hadith continues that if you do not do so, I, if you do not free yourself from my service, then Malatu Sadraka Shughla 
ولم اسد فقرك i will fill your heart with preoccupation and i will not put a halt to your poverty the meaning of the hadith again if someone frees themselves for the purpose of their existence and creation which is the service of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allah will take care of their other needs and if we focus on the words the words are allah doesn't say o son of adam free yourself from my service and i shall fill your hands with wealth or your coffers with wealth allah says tafarragh li ibadati amla sadrak ghina free yourself from my service and i shall fill your heart with richness because the true location the true repository the true chest for treasure is man's chest himself itself it's not a chest on the ground it's not a vault it's not a bank account it's not even the ground the place where a person's true treasure lies is the heart if the heart is filled with richness then that person will feel wealthy happy satisfied content regardless of what the heart contains or doesn't contain but if allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deprives a person's heart of richness of wealth of satisfaction and contentment then billions and trillions will never be sufficient for that person never and that's why allah says if you do not free yourself from my service i will malatu sadraka shughla i will fill your heart with preoccupation the meaning of preoccupation is that they will always be busy always the person will always be busy never have time for themselves they will always be somewhere else they are here and now but they always wish to be somewhere else and some other place and time and their heart will always be preoccupied always discontent always unsatisfied something will always be missing and as a result the person preoccupies themselves and continues to strive in an endless pursuit as though they don't just have to feed themselves but they have to feed the whole of creation and the creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another verse of the Quran qul aghayra Allahi attakhidhu waliyan fatir as-samawati wal ard wa huwa yut'imu wa la yut'am qul inni umirtu an akuna awwala man aslam wa la takunanna min al-mushrikeen say this is an address to the messenger of Allah that say to them what should i take other than Allah the creator and the originator of the heavens and the earth should i take a guardian other than him when he wahuwa yut'imu wa la yut'am when he is the one who feeds and he is not fed he is not nourished in any way now this may seem rather primitive to us but this is what the pagans would do people reduce or did reduce their gods to humans and they would feed them they would place sacrifices before them and therefore allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns us that allah is not one to be fed 
And even if we move beyond that primitive concept of Allah being fed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it beautifully in that verse, that you strive, the meaning is, it's almost as, as though, it's almost as though you work, you earn, you strive, not only for your own livelihood, but as though you have to feed the whole of creation and the creator himself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I have created jinn and men for my service. I do not seek from any provisions from them. Nor do I seek that they feed me. Rather, Allah is the sustainer, the great sustainer, the one almighty. And speaking of sacrifices, we also sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, on Yawm Nahr, the day of sacrifice, alternatively known as the day of Eid, Eid al-Adha, which means a day of sacrifices. In Mecca and its vicinity, in Mina and its vicinity, in every location on earth, Muslims sacrifice animals for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a collective sacrifice. On other occasions we sacrifice animals. So, what difference is there between our sacrifices to Allah and the sacrifices of others to their gods? Allah Azza wa Jal says, Never will the flesh and the bloods of these animals reach Allah. Rather, what will reach Allah from you is taqwa. It's symbolic as far as Allah is concerned. Allah is in no need of the flesh and the blood. It's symbolic. What does reach Allah is true taqwa and God consciousness from you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, every one of you is hungry, except one whom I feed. Therefore seek sustenance from me, and I shall feed you. If we had true tawakkul and reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa jal would sustain us and feed us. And he does. The truth is, it's more about us than it is about Allah Azza wa We are discontent because we do not rely on Allah. We lack trust in Allah. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha not to measure the provisions in her house. For, so the meaning is, for as long as she wouldn't measure the provisions in her house, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would continue to place barakah therein. We lack true trust and reliance in Allah. It's almost as though we cannot believe in Him, we cannot depend on Him, we have to do it for ourselves. As a result... We are never happy, we are never satisfied, we are never content. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a great sustainer. Turn to Allah for everything. In fact, in one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لِيَسْأَلْ أَحَدُكُمْ رَبَّهُ حَاجَتَهُ كُلَّهَا Let one of you ask Allah, his Lord, for every need of his. So much so that if need be, he should even he should even ask Allah for the strap of his sandal. So we may not understand it very well, but if you imagine flip flops or sandals, the straps that go across 
They are, they frequently break, snap off, or are cut. So, and it may seem something trivial, the leather strap, or even the plastic strap of a sandal or a flip-flop, it seems so trivial, a meagre part of the lowliest footwear on a person. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, let one of you pray to his Lord for everything, for every need, even down to the strap of his sandal. And in one narration of this hadith, uh, Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates this hadith, and in one narration of this hadith, the wording is, although it's a mursal hadith, the wording is, so much so that he should even ask for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he should even ask, not just for the strap of his sandals, but even salt from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So seek your provisions from Allah. Pray to Allah for your provisions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for you. In a verse of the Qur'an, those who truly trust in Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا وَيَرْزُقْهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبْ وَمَن يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ بَالِقُ أَمْرِهِ قَدْ جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدْرًا And whoever is conscious of Allah, يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Allah will create an exit and a deliverance for him. وَيَرْزُقْهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبْ And Allah will feed and sustain him in a manner and from where he cannot even imagine. وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّرْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حِسْبُهُ And whoever relies on Allah, Allah is sufficient for him. And I have seen evidence of in the lives of scholars and the pious. I really have. Where they are reliant on Allah Azza wa Jal, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sustains them and provides for them in a manner that they or others cannot imagine. I always remember this verse in relation to my father. May Allah have mercy on him. But because it's personal and it's related to my father, I won't mention it here, but maybe on another occasion. If we rely and trust on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa jal will provide. And whence a person cannot even imagine. To move on to the next sentence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibadi, kullukum aarin illa man kasawtuhu fistaksuni aksukum. O my servants, every one of you is unclothed, is naked, except one eye clothed. Therefore seek clothing of me, and I shall clothe you. Kisa means a cloak. And in Arabic as well as in English and other languages, a cloak doesn't just refer to clothing. It can mean a curtain, a barrier. 
clothing that guards our privacy. And when I used the word shelter earlier, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clothes us. Allah guards our privacy from each other. And it's not just the privacy of our flesh, but Allah also provides a curtain and a cloak in order to guard the privacy of our character, of our hearts, of our minds. Just as this skin gives us a veneer of beauty and a facade. If we are to peel away the skin, even momentarily, if someone has suffered a cut or a gash, or if someone's skin, even a few millimetres or a a centimetre, the skin comes off and we see the raw flesh beneath, it's frightening. It's distasteful. It's distressing. So just as the skin provides a veneer and a thin film and layer of beauty, which is very deceiving in a a similar manner, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us with a film and a veneer and an outer skin of beauty which covers the true ugliness of our character. If our real being, our real inner state, was to be revealed to our closest ones, our own parents, our own children, our own siblings, nay, in fact, let me go further, a lot of the time we ourselves are in denial of our own selves, how many of us can look within and tolerate what they see? How many of us, if they are honest, if we are honest, can look in the mirror, and not the mirror of beauty, but rather the mirror of character, how many of us can look into our hearts, into our lives, into our thoughts, our true emotions, into our being, and truly approve of what they see? Would they want their fathers, their mothers, their children, their brothers and sisters, their own siblings, to be aware of their true inner state and character? We can't live with ourselves if we didn't play a game of denial. And of distraction. We're always doing something else in order to distract ourselves from ourselves. How can we, if we cannot live with ourselves and tolerate our own being, how can we imagine others to do so? Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves us. He loves us to such a degree that despite knowing how we are and who we are from within, he says, He knows the treachery of the eyes and what the hearts conceal. It's a very beautiful verse. What it means is that others can watch you. There may be a camera monitoring you. A person may be looking at you. Walking with you, holding your arm to ensure that you don't do anything wrong. 
But if they are facing the same direction as you, or even slightly distracted, you can give a quick glance of an eye, and they wouldn't be able to catch you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنَ He knows the treachery of the eyes, meaning a cursory glance, he even knows that. And if someone wants to catch that, وَمَا تُخْفِي الصُّدُورِ Allah knows what no one else can know, which is what the hearts conceal. Despite knowing what the hearts conceal, despite knowing everything about a person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still says, يَا عِبَادِي O my servants. And Allah provides that cover, that shelter, that concealment. And he encourages us to maintain that cover. So much so that if you come across anyone else's misdeeds, if you come across someone else's fault, then conceal it. Whoever conceals the fault of his fellow Muslim, Allah will conceal his faults on the day of judgment. On that day, يَوْمَ تُبْلَ السَّرَائِرُ on the day when all secrets shall be revealed. Be unto others as you would like them to be to you. Do unto others as you would like them do unto you. Just as you wouldn't want anyone to reveal your faults and to expose you, then do not do the same to others. We have a guard, a shelter, a concealment, a cloak, which Allah has placed over us, that allows us to live a bearable existence with each other. Imagine if we knew exactly what the other person thought and felt. Life would be impossible. Speaking about Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, if you remember when I spoke about the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, and I mentioned a few weeks ago that he did not lie, except on three occasions. Speaking, and uh, go back to the commentary of the hadith in order to understand it fully, we engage in this kind of dissimulation and concealment and disguise all the time. When someone asks, a que- asks us a question about them, do we ever reveal our true thoughts? Our true feelings. If we were to expose ourselves to one another, life would be unbearable. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created clothing and a cloak, not just to guard the privacy of our skin and our privates, but rather of the privates of the body. It's also to guard the privacy of our minds, of our hearts, of our characters. So that life is bearable. And in that we depend only on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only on Allah That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, apart from provisions, turn to me for your protection, for your clothing, for your guarding, so that you are not exposed. And how is that possible? Through repentance. If a person sincerely repents to Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obliterates their sins. Allah obliterates them. And sometimes the evidence doesn't remain. And sometimes even if the evidence remains, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the blessing and the virtue of their sincere repentance, 
Allah even turns the hearts of those who are angry at them. So that even they tolerate their trespasses. If repentance is sincere. So that is one way of us seeking Allah's concealment. Allah's guarding. Allah's clothing and protection. Allah's cloak which he casts over us. How? By doing tawbah, repenting. And seeking Allah's forgiveness. And that's why this sentence leads immediately to the next sentence. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibadi, innakum tukhti'una bil-layli wal-nahar, wa ana akhfiru al-dhunub jami'a, fastaghfiruni akhfir lakum. O my servants, indeed, you sin, or you err, day and night, and I forgive all sins, Therefore seek my forgiveness and I shall forgive you. Istighfar, seeking Allah's forgiveness, and tawbah, repenting to Allah, is one of the greatest teachings of religion which we often neglect. Let us ask ourselves, how many times do we do istighfar a day? In fact, when was the last time we actually said astaghfirullah? Even once. And if we did say it once, when was the last time we said it ten times? When was the last time we said it twenty times? And if someone says, I said it twenty, and rare are these cases, who can say, I said it seventy times, a hundred times? We learn from many hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and so many Imam Nasi, and so many others. The collective meaning of these ahadith from a number of sahaba radiyallahu anhum is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said Verily I seek Allah's forgiveness and I turn to him in repentance more than 70 times a day. In another hadith, a hundred times a day. And not just in one day, but the sahaba radiyallahu anhum relate that often we would hear Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam seek Allah's forgiveness and use the words astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayhi that I seek Allah's forgiveness and I repent unto him more than a hundred times in one sitting. In one sitting. And he was a messenger of Allah. Whose every moment of existence was spent in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the remembrance of Allah. Despite that, in one single sitting, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum would hear the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam seek Allah's forgiveness and say, astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayhi in, in various ways, more than a hundred times in a single sitting. And that was the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, of whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, that Allah has forgiven you all your past and future sins. So that Allah may Allah may forgive every sin, all of your sins, past and future. That was a messenger sallallahu alayhi wa In fact, he was so blessed. He was so blessed. And despite being blessed, he sought Allah's forgiveness regularly. He was so blessed 
The of him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah addressing him says, speaking of the pagans of Mecca, that they did so much. Why weren't they ever, why didn't they ever suffer a common punishment as some of the other opponents of the former messenger suffered? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبُهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ That O Messenger of Allah, as long as you are amongst them, Allah is not one to punish them. His very presence was a ward of, warded of punishment. His very presence was a deterrent from punishment. Allah refused to punish them despite everything because of the Messenger wasallam's presence. And then this verse leads us to something else, which is, Allah then says, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبُهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ And Allah is not one to punish them as long as they seek His forgiveness. So, it's almost as though istighfar is a substitute for the presence of Messenger wasallam. Allah will not punish them as long as you are amongst them. And Allah will not punish them as long as they seek Allah's forgiveness. So the Messenger ﷺ was so blessed that his very presence was a form of istighfar in itself, a form of seeking Allah's forgiveness in itself, and a deterrent, an awarding of punishment. And yet he would seek Allah's forgiveness, not just 70 times a day, more than 70 times a day, not just 100 times a day, but up to 100 times in a single sitting. And that was a messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa How often do we seek Allah's forgiveness? Even though Allah says of us, إِنَّكُمْ تُخْتِئُونَ بِاللَّيْلِ nahar, You sin, you err, day and night. We have been taught to maintain a balance. Not to be too complacent, not to be too hopeful, but to fear Allah and to be conscious of Him. And it's a very fine line. The moment we become complacent, we genuinely treat our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a joke. We almost treat istighfar and forgiveness as a joke. To the extent that we say, I'll sin and then I'll seek Allah's forgiveness. I'll sin and then I'll seek Allah's forgiveness. بَلْ يُرِيدُ الْإِنسَانُ لِيَفْجُرَ أَمَامَهُ Name man intends to sin ahead of himself. Meaning, it's a verse of the Quran, man actually plans to sin. He plans to sin ahead. So we treat our relation, we can in our complacency reduce our relationship with Allah to a joke, our treatment of istighfar and tawbah and sins to a joke. So much so that we actually say, We'll commit the sin and then we'll seek forgiveness. It's not a mathematical equation where you do A and then you do B and B will wipe out A. It doesn't work like that. One has to be sincere. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that tawbah, repentance, إِنَّمَا التَّوْبَةُ عَلَى اللَّهِ لِلَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السُّوءَ بِجَهَالَةِ ثُمَّ يَتُوبُونَ مِنْ قَرِيبٍ 
فَأُولَٰئِكَ يَتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tawbah. Repentance is only for those people who commit wrong in ignorance. And then they repent shortly, immediately. And the meaning of ignorance doesn't mean that they don't know at all. Sometimes a person knows that this sin, this is a sin. But succumbing to temptation in the weakness of the moment, they fall prey. And then there is immediate regret, contrition, shame, and sincere repentance. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives such people. But then Allah also says, forgiveness and repentance are not for those who commit sins. And we learn from other verses of the Qur'an, those who persist in their sins. Because their repentance, their forgiveness lacks, their istighfar, their seeking forgiveness, lacks sincerity. So we have to maintain a balance. The fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at the same time, hope. We can't despair. We can't become too complacent. And we have to tread a fine line between the two extremes of despair and of complacency. Of too much hope and too much fear. And Allah in the Qur'an has given us both. As I mentioned last week, نَبِّ عِبَادِي أَنِّي أَنَا الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ وَأَنَّ عَذَابِي هُوَ الْعَذَابُ الْأَلِيمُ Allah says, inform my servants that verily I am the most forgiving, the most merciful. But also tell them that my punishment is the painful punishment. So we sin day and night. We err day and night. And we really do if only we would admit to it. Our arrogance prevents us from admitting to our faults. That's why in the Quran there's a verse which says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ اللَّهُ الْعِزَّةُ بِالْإِثْمِ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ That when it is said to him, fear Allah... Arrogance and sin seizes him. So Jahannam is sufficient for him. Which means, a person, Allah is describing a person, who, when he is wrong, he is sinful, and then he is reminded of Allah, and the fear of Allah, and his duty to Allah, rather than concentrate on the good counsel and advice being imparted to him, Rather than focus on what's being said to him, rather than focus on the fault and on the sin of which he is guilty, instead of that, instead of looking at himself, he's more worried about how he is being spoken to. So when someone says to him, fear Allah, even though he is sinful, he compounds sin, his sin, and he adds sin upon sin by becoming arrogant. And arrogance seizes him, and rather than rectifying one's error, rectifying one's mistake, disciplining oneself, the person's arrogance leads him to quarreling further with the other person, simply because they are incensed and indignant of what's been said to them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, what do you do with such a person? Allah says, فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ Jahannam is sufficient for him. There's no other cure. 
So our arrogance prevents us from recognizing our faults and our sins. And Allah tells us, you sin day and night. And in another hadith, related by Imam Tirmidhi and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, كُلُّ بْنِ آدَمَ خَطَّاءُ وَخَيْرُ الْخَطَّائِينَ التَّوَّابُونَ Every human is a sinner. Without doubt, every human is a sinner. But Allah then gives us hope. وَخَيْرُ الْخَطَّائِينَ التَّوَّابُونَ And the best of all sinners are those who repent. In fact, as humans we are not perfect. We cannot be perfect. Sinning is part of our nature. And the hope is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us in a hadith later by many authors, including Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that if you were not to sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would remove you and replace you with others who would sin and then seek Allah's forgiveness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a forgiver. And this great attribute of Allah azza wa jal, of forgiveness, will only come to light and will only come into play if they are sinners to forgive. That's why the angels are perfect. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala boasts of humans to the angels, even though they are sinners. Because those who are sincere, they repent and they return to Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love is such. In fact, in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others. It's a very beautiful hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لَاللَّهُ أَشَدُّ فَرَحٍ بِتَوْبَةِ عَبْدِهِ Allah is even more happier. Allah is even happier. Even more intense in his joy. Allah is even more intensely joyful upon the repentance of his servant than any one of you who travels with his camel, his mount, in the desert. And upon his mount, upon his camel, there are his provisions, his food, his drink, and his luggage. And then his mount disappears. It's lost. So he wanders in the desert looking for his mount upon which his, his life, his provisions, his food, his drink, his luggage. And then he cannot find it. So in despair he comes to the shade of a tree and lies down in the shade of the tree in total despair having given up hope of retrieving his mount. Remember he's alone in the desert in an open land. And all of his goods, all of his luggage, his food, his drink and provisions are all on that single mount. And it's lost. It's gone for good. There's no sign of it. He spent an endless time looking for it. And now in great despair he comes down beneath the shade of a tree. He comes to beneath the shade of a tree and lies down in despair. When all of a sudden he sees his mount right before him, it suddenly appears so in great joy he jumps up and in the narration of Imam Muslim in his sahih, 
the Prophet ﷺ says, he enjoy, he jumps, well, these aren't the words that he jumps up, but enjoy, he says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because he's delirious with joy and happiness, Allahumma anta abdi wa ana rabbuk, that, oh Allah, you are my servant and I am your Lord. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, he erred and he blasphemed out of his intense joy. So you can imagine how happy he is that his mount has come back to him. And he is so happy that he becomes delirious in his joy and happiness. And he, he doesn't realize what he is saying. And in his delirious joy, he actually blasphemes and says to Allah, Oh Allah, you are my servant and I am your Lord. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says that Allah is even more intensely joyful than such a person. When his servant repents and comes back to Allah. You can imagine Allah's happiness at the repentance and the tawbah of his servant. There are many ahadith. All it takes for us is to go towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will respond. And every one of us can repent at any time. There are great scholars who, scholars of religion in the earlier days, some of whom were drunkards, and yet today they are the narrators of hadith. There were those who were dacoits, who were brigands, who would actually rob caravans, and yet later they became the greatest of scholars. And that's not surprising at all. Look at Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu the very person whose hadith we are narrating. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu was a raider. That's what he would do. His whole tribe would engage in raiding. So much so that when he first met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam near the Kaaba and he introduced himself, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, who are you and where are you from? And he mentioned who he was, from which tribe? He said from Mimbani Ghifar, from the clan of Ghifar, the tribe of Ghifar. The Prophet ﷺ placed his noble hands on his forehead. Because they were notorious for being brigands, caravan raiders. That's the life they led. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when someone sincerely repents to Allah, Allah accepts their repentance. Allah cleanses them, Allah purifies them. Allah changes them. As long as they remain repentant and sincere. In a very beautiful hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi and others. Again, it's a Qudsi hadith. These are all Qudsi hadith, meaning those hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ doesn't just use his own words. Or he's not saying it just from himself. He actually says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. So the hadith which we are reading through from Muslim is a hadith Qudsi. The earlier hadith about forgiveness is Qudsi hadith. This is also a Qudsi hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi in his sunan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibn Adam, innaka ma da'awtani wa rajawtani ghafartu laka ala ma kana fika wa la ubali. Ya ibn Adam, law balagat dhunubuka anana as-sama'a 
ثم استغفرتني غفرت لك ولا أبالي يا ابن آدم إنك لو أتيتني بقراب الأرض خطايا ثم لقيتني لا تشرك بي شيئا لأتيتك بقرابها مغفرة Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah azza wa jal says, again, this is a Qudsi hadith, O son of Adam, O man, indeed, as long as you pray to me, supplicate to me, praying here doesn't mean salah and worship, mean innaka ma da'utani, as long as you supplicate to me, as long as you ask of me, warajawtani, and as long as you have hope in me, I will forgive you your sins despite what you have in you. And I will not care. So, O son of Adam, as long as you pray to me, I supplicate to me and have hope in me, I will forgive you for your sins regardless of what's in you. And I will not care. O son of Adam, if your sins reach the canopy of the heavens, reach the canopy of the sky, then you seek my forgiveness, you do istighfar, I will forgive you and I will not care. O son of Adam, if you were to come to me, indeed, if you were to come to me, with the world full of sins, then you met me in such a state that you do not ascribe any partner or associate any partner with me, then I will come to you and meet you with the world full of forgiveness. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive. Initially Allah said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Indeed, Allah does not forgive that anyone associates partners with him. And apart from associating partners with Allah, Allah forgives all of the sins for whom he wishes. But then, that verse was actually superseded and surpassed by another verse of the Qur'an, in which Allah says, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَتُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبِ جَمِيعًا Say, O my servants who have transgressed against themselves, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Verily, Allah forgives all sins. Indeed, He is most forgiving, most merciful. So Allah forgives everything. As long as a person turns to Allah, as long as a person is sincere, sincerity in turning to Allah, in repentance, in seeking Allah's forgiveness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts a person. Allah is delighted, gleeful, joyful, and overjoyed when his servant returns to him. And in fact, in a very beautiful hadith about turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how Allah responds to us. If we move towards Allah just a bit, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will move towards us much more. In a hadith again related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and many others. It's a Qudsi hadith again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَنَا عِنْدَ ظَنِّ عَبْدِي بِي وَأَنَا مَعَهُ إِذَا ذَكَرَنِي فَإِنْ ذَكَرَنِي فِي نَفْسِهِ ذَكَرْتُهُ فِي نَفْسِي وَإِنْ ذَكَرَنِي فِي مَلَئٍ ذَكَرْتُهُ فِي مَلَئٍ خَيْرٍ مِّنْ 
و ان تقرب الی بشبر تقرب تو الہ ذرا و ان تقرب الی ذرا تقرب تو الہ دا و ان اتانی یمشی Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah says, أنا عند ظن عبدي بي I am with my servant as he thinks of me. Meaning, if he has hope in me sincerely, then I shall give him hope. If he despairs of my mercy, then he will have despair. That's just my explanation. Otherwise the wording of the hadith is, I am with my servant as he thinks of me. And I am with him when he thinks of me and remembers me. So if he remembers me in himself, I remember him in myself. And if he remembers me in a gathering, then I remember him in a gathering far better than that gathering. And if he comes closer to me by a span, I come closer to him by an arm's length, four arm's length, a cubit. There are. And if he comes closer to me by the measure of a dirar, a cubit, a four arm's length, then I, come, I draw closer to him by a fathom. Ba'ar. In Arabic, ba'ar doesn't mean a full arm's length. He actually means two arm's length. So, if he comes closer to me by a span, I come closer to him by a forearm's length, a cubit. And if he comes closer to me by a cubit, I come closer to him by a fathom, meaning two arms length, spread out. And if he, the ending of the hadith is, وَإِنْ أَتَانِي يَمْشِي أَتَيْتُهُ هَرْوَلَةً If he comes to me walking, I go to him running. And this is a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. So, the Prophet wasallam has given, has said so much to give us hope. As long as we seek Allah's forgiveness, as long as we turn to Him. And that's why Allah says, O oh my servants, indeed you sin day and night, and I forgive all sins, therefore seek my forgiveness, and I shall forgive you. That's how we can gain and retain Allah's cloak of protection, which He speaks of earlier. That every one of you is naked, except one whom I clothe. So it's not just the clothing of the body, it's also the clothing of our character. And how do we gain and retain that clothing of character? By seeking Allah's forgiveness repeatedly and turning to Him in repentance. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibadi, O my servants, innakum lan tablughu darri fatadurruni wa lan tablughu naf'i fatanfa'uni. O my servants, indeed you will never reach my harm that you can harm me. And you will never reach my benefits in that you can benefit me. Which simply means that you are helpless. I am all powerful. You are in, in need of me and I am dependent. Quite simply, Allah Azzawajal says in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ أَنْتُمُ الْفُقَرَاءُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ هُوَ الْغَنِيُّ الْحَمِيدِ إِنْ يَشَأْ يُذْهِبْكُمْ وَيَأْتَ بِخَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ وَمَا ذَلَكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ بِعَزِيزٍ Allah says, O mankind, you are poor and in need of Allah, and Allah 
He is independent and full of praise. If he wishes, Allah will remove you and bring another creation in your place. And this is not at all difficult for Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of his creation in any way. Everything in religion, everything about us, is for us. Our worship is for us. Allah's service is for us. Halal and haram is for our benefit. Religion is for our benefit. The laws, the prescriptions and the prescriptions, the prohibitions of religion are for us, for our benefit. Sacrifices to Allah are for our benefit. Worship, service to Allah is all for our benefit. Nothing that we do benefits Allah in the least. Nor can it harm Him. So if the whole earth, if the whole world was to believe, this would make no difference to Allah. If the whole world was to disbelieve, it would make no difference to Allah. That's what Musa alayhi salam said to his people. In takfuru antum muman fil jami'a. That, O oh people, if you and all of the people of the world were to disbelieve, then verily Allah is independent, full of praise. It doesn't make a difference to Allah. And again, this is in relation to the worship of people. This is in relation to people worshipping idols. And it's not just about idols. Ultimately, what is an idol? Anything which a person erects as an equal to Allah or as a rival to Allah. In Arabic, you may have come across this word, especially for those who are studying Arabic, nid dhid, andad, addad. ومن الناس من يتخذ من دون الله اندادا يحبونهم كحب الله والذين آمنوا أشد حبا لله there are those amongst the people who take equals to Allah besides Allah. They love them as they should love Allah. But those who believe, they are more intense in their love for Allah than these people's love for their idols and the equals that they have erected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nid, plural andad, means equal. Did means rival, plural adad. So whether we erect and we create equals to Allah or rivals to Allah, they don't necessarily have to be carved images of gods or statues and stones. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, أَفَرَأَيْتَ مَنِ اتَّخَذَ إِلَاهَهُ هَوَا Have you seen one? who has made his soul his God, his desire his God. So Allah says, have you seen one who has made his desire, his nafs, his soul, his lower self, his ego, his God? So when it comes to associating partners with Allah and creating equals or rivals, then they don't have to be Graven images, stones, statues, 
idols and false gods. We can make a false god of anything. As Allah mentions in that verse, those who take equals besides Allah, they love them as they should love Allah. It could be even a person. It could be a human being. It could be a group of human beings. It could be an idea. It could be a concept, an ideology. It could be a fashion or a passion. Anyone or anything which becomes the the object of a person's devotion and focus as a rival to Allah, as an equal to Allah, is a form of shirk. And sometimes we may not love these things, but we believe in them, we trust in them. And in fact, we think that they can harm us, they can benefit us. And we do not ascribe benefits and harm to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to understand this in this context. Just as Allah said earlier about, I am the one who feeds, seek food of me. The pagans, they would feed their gods and their statues and their idols. We may think of that as being primitive. But in in a different way, we make our own sacrifices at other altars to our own gods. To the ones that we have made equal and rival to Allah. In another way, just as the idols, pagans and others believed about their gods, their statues and their idols. That they had the power and the ability to harm and benefit. We, that may seem primitive to us. We may no longer worship graven images. But we have our own rivals and equals to God that we have created. That we believe in, that we trust, that we rely on, that we depend on, that we love, that we fear, that we believe in, that they can harm us or benefit us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that you and the whole world, you and your false gods, you and your false ideas, you and those people or things that you trust in, believe in, that you ascribe power to, you and everything put together will never be able to reach the degree of harming me in the least. Nothing affects Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing at all. So much so, that forget us, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam returned from the battle of Uhud, in the battle of Uhud, in the third year of Hijrah, owing to a strategic error on the part of some of the Muslims and their failure to obey the command of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to the letter, the Muslims suffered a great setback. As a result of which, many companions were martyred. And in that tumult and confusion, the rumor spread that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself had been martyred and that he had left this world. So following the battle of Uhud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a number of verses in relation to Uhud. One of which was, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ أَفَإِمَّاتَ أَوْ قُتِلٍ قَلَبْتُمْ عَلَىٰ أَعْقَابِكُمْ وَمَنْ يَنْقَلِبْ عَلَىٰ أَقِبَيْهِ فَلَنْ يَضُرَّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا وَسَيَدْزِ اللَّهُ الشَّاكِرِينَ Allah warned them that because this led to great confusion, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the battlefield, Allah warned them that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is but a messenger. Many messengers have passed before him. What if he dies or if he is killed? In qalabtum ala a'qabikum, will you turn on your heels and flee? Will you change? Because what had happened momentarily when some of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum heard this, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa had passed away, this shook them. Some of them even gave up hope and sat down. It shook them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding them that your relationship and your trust should be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Great as he is. Remember, he is but a messenger. Just as other messengers have passed before him, he will pass too. And what if he dies, or if he, even if he is killed? Will your faith come to an end? Will you be so shaken that you lose your faith and trust in Allah? No. And even if you did, Allah warns them. Whoever turns on his heels and flees, فَلَنْ يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا he does not harm Allah in the least. In fact, in other verses of the Quran, we learn that if everyone was, the meaning, uh, general meaning is, if everyone was to disbelieve, this would not affect Allah in the least. Not at all. All harm and all good come from Allah. And nothing else, no one else, can truly harm or benefit anyone without the will and the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one. Even gods, even idols, even other powers that we believe in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Qur'an, وَلَئِن سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَنِي اللَّهُ بِدُرِّنَ هَلْ هُنَّ كَاشِفَاتُ دُرِّهِ أو أرادني برحمة هل هن ممسكات رحمته قل حسبي الله عليه يتوكل المتوكلون Allah says and if you were to ask them O messenger of Allah who created the heavens and the earth they will surely say Allah say then tell me this these that you call out to all that you call out to besides Allah if Allah was to wish harm for me can all of them remove the harm that Allah wishes for me? Or if Allah was to, was to wish good for me, can all of them withhold and prevent the good that Allah wishes for me? Nay. Then Allah says, قُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهِ Say, Allah is sufficient for me. عَلَيْهِ يَتَوَكَّلُ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ Upon Allah do rely those who are relying. All good, all harm come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another verse of the Qur'an, مَا يَفْتَحِ اللَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ رَحْمَةٍ فَلَا مُمْسِكَ لَهَا وَمَا يُمْسِكَ فَلَا مُرْسِلَ لَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Any good, any mercy that Allah releases and opens up for mankind, there is none to withhold it or prevent it. And whatever Allah withholds, there is none to release it after him. Verily, he is almighty, all wise. 
And there are many such verses throughout the Qur'an which speak about the ultimate power of good and harm lying with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with no one else. In fact, not even with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him, قُلْ لَا أَمْلِكُ لِنَفْسِي نَفْعًا وَلَا ضَرًّا إِلَّا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ وَلَوْ كُنْتُ عَأْلَمُ الْغَيْبُ لَاسْتَكْثَرْتُ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ وَمَا مَسَّنِي السُّوءِ إِنْ أَنَا إِلَّا نَذِيرٌ وَبَشِيرٌ لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ Say, O Messenger of Allah, tell them, I do not possess any benefit or any harm for myself. And that's the Messenger of Allah. Say to them, I do not possess any power of benefit or harm to myself, for myself. إِلَّا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ Except what Allah wishes. And had, وَلَوْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ And had I knowledge of the unseen, had I known the unseen, and if I do know the unseen, لَسْتَكْثَرْتُ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ I would amass great good for myself. وَمَا مَسْتَنِي السُّوءِ And no evil, no harm would ever befall me. But that's not the case. The reality is, in أَنَا إِلَّا نَذِيرٌ وَبَشِيرٌ لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ I am but a warner and a carrier of glad tidings for a people who believe. Even the Messenger ﷺ ultimately had no power of good or harm, even for himself, except what Allah wished. In a hadith later by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi in his sunan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Abdullah ibn Abbas sallallahu alayhi wa relates this hadith. He says that I was riding pillion with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called out to me and said, Ya ghulam, inni u'allimuka kalimat. Ihfadillah yahfadhk. Ihfadillah tajidhu tujahak. Ida sa'alta fas'alillah. Wa ida sta'anta fas'ta'in billah. Wa'alam anna al-ummata law ijtama'at ala yanfa'uka bishay, lam yanfa'uka illa bishayin qad katabahu allahu lak. Wa law ijtama'u ala yadurruka bishay, lam yadurruka bishayin illa qad katabahu allahu alayk. Rufi'at al-aqlam wa jaffat al-suhuf. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Oh child, oh lad, he's speaking to Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah, his cousin brother. He was very young. He said, Oh, lad, young lad, I'm going to teach you a few words. And they were, Ihfadillah yahfad. Keep Allah and Allah shall keep you. Keep Allah and you shall find Allah before you. When you ask, only ask of Allah. When you seek assistance, only seek the aid and assistance of Allah. And then this is a sentence that really is relevant to our current discussion. Then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, And know that if the whole nation was to come together to benefit you in anything, with anything, they will never be able to benefit you in that thing unless Allah has already decreed it for you. And if they were all to come together collectively, to harm you with something, they would never be able to harm you with that thing, or with anything, unless Allah has already decreed it against you. رُفِعَتِ الْأَقْلَامِ وَجَفَّتِ suhuf. The pens have been lifted, and the scrolls and parchments have dried. Meaning the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, 
All harm comes from Allah. All good comes from Allah. He is the ultimate judge. No one has power of good or harm for anyone or anything. And if that's the case, then how can anyone harm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can anyone benefit Allah? Our whole religion is for our benefits. What we do, our prayers, our sacrifice, our charity, our worship, our service, our devotion, our servitude, everything is ultimately for our benefits, not for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah Azza wa Jal says in this famous, in this Qudsi hadith, Ya ibadi, لو أن أولكم وآخركم وإنسكم وجنكم كانوا على أتقى قلب رجل واحد منكم ما زاد ذلك في ملك شيئا. O oh my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn amongst you, were all to be as pious and as God-conscious, as the most pious-hearted amongst you, this would not increase anything in my kingdom. If the whole world was full of saints, if every man was a saint, if every human being was a saint, every man and woman was a saint, this would not increase anything in Allah's kingdom. It's not for Allah, it's for us. And then the next sentence, O my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn amongst you, were all to be as afjad, meaning the most sinful hearted amongst you, this would not reduce anything in my kingdom. Ultimately, it's not for the benefits and the harm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's for us. Then Allah says, O oh my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn amongst you, were all to stand in one plane, then every one of them, every one of them was to ask me, of what he wished. In one narration of the hadith, ما بلغت أمنيته Meaning he was to ask me everything as far as his aspirations could reach. As far as his hopes could reach. He was to ask me of everything that comes to his or her imagination. And then I was to give them each one everything. فَعَطَيْتُ كُلَّ إِنسَانٍ مَسْأَلَةً I was to give everyone their desire. This would not reduce my treasure and that which is by me, except to the extent of a needle which is dipped into the ocean and then removed. Now, an interesting thing here is that when you dip a needle into the ocean and you remove it, there's a minimal amount that comes out. One, because it's a very smooth surface. Water rolls off, ultimately. And because of its minimal surface area, very little water will collect and gather and remain anyway. But still something comes out. So the ulama explain that the meaning of these words in the hadith is simply an approximation. It's to give us an idea, it's to help us understand. Otherwise, if Allah was to give everyone all of their desires, whatever they wished and prayed for, this would ultimately reduce nothing from the treasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Allah says, مَا عِنْدَكُمْ يَنْفَدُ وَمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ بَاقِ That which is with you will perish, and that which is with Allah is everlasting. And in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and others, Prophet wasallam says, Allah's hands are full. Allah's hand is full. He spends as He wishes. He spends freely, gives freely, day and night. Have you not seen how much Allah has spent from the moment He created the heavens and the earth? Well, all of that, the Prophet ﷺ says, has not reduced anything which is by Allah. So the creation of the heavens and the universe, and universes, their maintenance, all of that from the moment of creation till now, has never reduced anything from the treasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why would the fulfillment of our prayers reduce anything? Nothing. It's just an approximation to help us understand. What this, ver- what this shows again is that Allah has the ability to give. If only we turn to Allah in prayer. Allah is not short of anything. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibadi, O my servants, innama hi a'malukum. These are but your deeds. Uhsiha lakum. I enumerate them for you. I record and register them for you. Then I will pay you their recompense. I will requite you for these deeds in full. So whoever finds good, let him praise Allah. And whoever finds other than this, let him blame no one but himself. Meaning, Ultimately, this life on earth, your existence, is a test. And I am watching you and observing your deeds, and I am counting them for you, enumerating them for you, registering and recording them for you. Then on the day of judgment, I will repay you in full. Good for good, bad for bad. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Our life on earth is a journey and a preparation for our ultimate destination, which is the Akhirah. The Qur'an was revealed over 23 years. And the Qur'an says so much. It has history of the past nations. It has mention of the hereafter. It has laws of marriage, of divorce, of inheritance, of wealth, of trading, borrowing, lending. Laws of eating, drinking of prayers, of rituals, of pilgrimages. The Qur'an contains so much laws of society, laws of family. But this is not the end goal. It's not just about eating halal and and avoiding haram. It's not just about drinking halal and not drinking haram. And that's why I've mentioned before about alternative Islamic finance, or Islamic finance. The economic system mentioned in the Qur'an and in the Hadith, and there are many laws mentioned in the Qur'an. The economic system is not just an alternative system. There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a spirit. 
Islam doesn't just teach us that this is method A of purchasing a house. And Islam regards this as being non-permissible. But here is method B. And according to method A, a person says, I'll buy this grand house and I'll live in it and I'll be happy. This will be my palace and this will be my paradise on earth. This will be my jannah. This is what I devote myself to. But unfortunately, method A is not permissible. So we have an alternative Islamic financing method, which is method B. So I'll still buy my house, which will be my jannah on earth, my paradise on earth. This is my goal, my aspiration. This is the end of my ambition. This is, and I will enjoy myself. But I'll just acquire it through method B. Islam doesn't teach us that Islamic finance, the avoidance of riba, the economic teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and those of the Qur'an are simply an alternative method. Islam doesn't teach us that. What Islam teaches us is that it's an alternative mechanism. But more importantly than the mechanism, there's a whole belief system, there's a whole spirit. And part of that spirit is that ultimately these laws of halal and haram, of alternatives, because Islam provides many alternatives. You can purchase something in a haram way, Islam tells you to purchase it in a permissible way. You can have a relationship in a haram way. Islam provides an alternative, a halal relationship of a halal marriage. Islam provides you with an alternative to eating haram food. An alternative is the halal food. But it just doesn't mean that all we do is still focus on the object and simply adopt an alternative method. Far from it. What Islam te- This is why I say we have so much in the Qur'an Laws of eating, drinking, society, family, marriage, divorce, lending, borrowing, trade. What's the purpose? After all of these laws and their revelation and their explanation, the last verse of the Qur'an to be revealed, according to some narrations a few days before the Prophet ﷺ left this world, was this one. وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ ثُمَّ تُوَفَّى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَّا كَسَبَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُظْلَمُونَ And fear a day when you shall all be returned to Allah, then every one of you will be repaid in full. Every soul shall be repaid in full. And they will not suffer any injustice in the least. This is why in this hadith also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ultimately, O my servants, إِنَّمَا هِيَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ These are your deeds. أُحْسِيهَا لَكُمْ I enumerate them for you. I count them for you. As the Qur'an says, كُلَّ صَغِيرٍ وَكَبِيرٍ مُسْتَطَرٍ Every minor and major thing is recorded. On the day of judgment, we will exclaim in horror and shock, مَا لِهَاذَا الْكِتَابِ لَا يُغَادِرُ صَغِيرَةً وَلَا كَبِيرَةً إِلَّا أَحْصَاهَا وَوَجَدُوا مَا عَمِلُوا حَاضِرًا وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحْدًا Allah says on the day of judgment people will exclaim that what is it with this register of deeds? What is it with this book? It has not left any minor or major thing except that it has أَحْصَاهَا enumerated it. The same word mentioned in the hadith أُحْصِيهَا لَكُمْ I will enumerate it and register it for you. Then, and Allah says in that verse, people will find everything that they have done recorded and registered. Do you know, centuries ago, or in fact, 
up to a century ago, there used to be this huge theological debate in Islam about the recording of deeds. But how will deeds be recorded and registered? And how will they be reproduced on the day of judgment? And there used to be this philosophical discussion that are deeds abstracts and accidents? Or are they substances? Because if they are not substances, and they are merely abstracts or accidents, these are philosophical terms, then they cannot be reproduced, they are transient, they come and go, they disappear. But now, everything is captured. Even even in our mundane existence on earth, words, pictures, images, video, deeds, and they are working and are progressing in the ability to capture thoughts. We have Google Glass, spectacles, record everything. Words are recorded, and trust me, with brain scanning, and monitoring, and some of the advances in that area of technology, the ability to, in fact, they've already achieved it. They can capture general and rough ideas of what a person is thinking and feeling without that person expressing any words or thoughts or, uh, or emotions themselves. So now there's no longer this debate. So we can fully understand and appreciate what Allah says when He says, وَوَجَدُوا مَا عَمِلُوا They will find what they have done present in front of them. And Allah is not unjust to anyone. Allah says in that verse. So this is it. These are your deeds. I count them for you. Then I will repay you in full for them. So whoever finds good in his deeds, let him praise Allah. Because our ability to do good comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as I mentioned about guidance last week. And whoever finds other than good, let him blame no one but himself. Because we have the opportunity on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانُ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمْرِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانٍ إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ مَا أَنَا بِمُسْرِخِكُمْ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُسْرِخِي Even Shaytan, Iblis, will say, he'll announce to the public on the day of reckoning, when the judgment shall be completed, the matter will come to an end, Shaytan will say, as Allah quotes in the Qur'an, Verily Allah promised you, and I promised you. Verily Allah promised you a promise of truth, and I also promised you. But I reneged on my promise to you. I failed to fulfill it. And the truth is that on earth, وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانٍ I had no power over you. We say, shaitan made me do it. The devil got to me. Shaitan got the better of me. Shaitan misled me. For every single sin that we have committed or are committing, and that we believe of ourselves, and that we will plead about on the day of judgment that, it was shaitan that made me do it. It was shaitan that did it. Shaitan will say and truthfully say, وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ I had no power over you. 
illa andautukum, except that I invited you fastajabtumli, so you responded to my invitation. Fala talumuni, therefore do not blame me, walumu anfusakum, but blame yourselves. That's what Allah says here, whoever finds other than good, fala ilumanna illa nafsa, let him blame no one but himself. That brings us to the end of the hadith. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who are of Allah's servants as he describes them to be the best of his servants in the Qur'an. I'll end with just a translation of the hadith. We don't have time to mention the Arabic. I've recited the full hadith with my chain of narration at the beginning today and last week. But I'll quickly go through the translation in order to end. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu relates from Allah, from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who relates from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah azawajal said, O my servants, Verily, I have forbidden injustice upon myself, and I have made it haram between you. Therefore, do not be unjust to one another. O my servants, every one of you is misguided, except one whom I guide. Therefore, seek guidance of me, and I shall guide you. O my servants, every one of you is hungry, except one whom I feed. Therefore, seek food from me, and I shall feed you. O my servants, every one of you is naked except one whom I clothe. Therefore seek clothing of me, and I shall clothe you. O my servants, indeed you sin day and night, and I forgive all sins. Therefore seek forgiveness of me, and I shall forgive you. O my servants, you will never reach my harm in that you can harm me. And you will never be able to reach my benefits in that you can benefit me. O oh, my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn amongst you, were all to be as pious-hearted, as pious as the most pious-hearted one amongst you, this would not increase anything in my kingdom. O oh, my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn amongst you, were all to be as sinful as the most sinful-hearted amongst you, this would not reduce anything in my kingdom. O oh, my servants, if the first and the last, the men and the jinn, were all to gather in one plane, and then they were all to ask me, and then I was to grant each their wish. This would not reduce anything from what is by me, except to the measure of a needle when it is dipped into the ocean and then removed. O oh, my servants, these are but your deeds. I am enumerating them for you. So whoever finds, and then I will repay you in full for them. So whoever finds good, i.e., in his deeds, then let him praise Allah. And whoever finds other than this, then let him blame no one but himself. May Allah enable us to understand. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www akstore.com We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com Produced under license by Alcotha Productions All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright